Lauren, this is the first episode of our show we're recording since uh, the final season of She-Ra has come out on Netflix. So first, I think we have to establish an important difference between us, which is I've seen every episode. Lauren, how many episodes have you seen? So I've technically only watched three, but I'm not sure that's even quite fair to say. And I think what you're about to say is the reason... So Netflix sends us screeners, you know, but they didn't include the last three episodes in the screeners, but I woke up early Friday morning to watch them before I even went on Twitter because I knew that the minute I opened Twitter, all of the youth would spoil me with their memes, which is exactly what happened. So Lauren, you pretty much know everything about this season, right? Exactly, yeah. I, I'm i not a person who minds spoilers. Uh, being surprised by the spoilers is not like an, a, a necessary part of a viewing experience to me. And so I have only watched three episodes, but then I clicked forward through Netflix and like saw a couple of highlights in the episodes to come. And then I just went on Twitter and drank deeply of the spoilers. <laughs> Man, I'm the opposite. I hate spoilers. Like I, I can't enjoy something if I know what's going to happen. So I'm really glad that I got to uh, not know what was going to happen and it's been really fun reading people's bingo cards. Got some nice submissions. I we're gonna, we're still going spoiler free on the podcast, Lauren, more or less, right? Yes, that is why it's important to say how far ahead we've listened because we have to be really careful to not talk ahead. So we know what happens ahead, but we kind of have to pretend that we don't. We try to keep this spoiler free. We have some listeners who really follow along with us and we think that's really sweet and really special but man i feel like once a season or so we still mess it up well and also it just feels like rules about spoilers and waiting to talk about media are totally out the window right now because most people you know have so much time for netflix um to the point where i was reading earlier this year that netflix was worried that they added too many subscribers and now have no more room for growth which is to me, a strange problem for a platform with no physical limitations to have, but that's why I don't work in digital media, I guess. That's really interesting to know if that's what they're butting up against, because for a while, their big pivot was to start creating a bunch of original and exclusive content. And then by creating exclusive content, they could draw in new subscribers who otherwise, you know, wouldn't have been able to see those literal shows. And so now if, if in such a short time they're at, well, we've gotten literally everyone, uh, good for them, I guess, and also kind of dystopian. Yeah, but they're still probably worried about losing The Office because, like, without Michael Scott, what are any of our lives, really? Devoid of a lot of awkward silence and bad jokes? I love The Office. I love The Office. I shouldn't say that. I also love The Office. I was hoping that you would give kind of like an Office cold open outline so I could play the Office theme song here and it would be like one of those weird editing tricks I like to do. Do you think I should do something like that, Lauren? <laughs> that was the joke. I did it. I was looking at the camera, but you couldn't see it. I was looking at the camera, but it doesn't but work I in heard, audio. I heard... I heard Junebug speak her toy <laughs> to punctuate the silence. Good one, Junebug. Top tier. Junebug is jimming the camera now.
Welcome back. This is She-Ra Progressive of Power. I'm Lauren. I'm Eric. And uh, if you were... I'm Eric. You are? (laughs) I was about to ask you if you were an office character, what would you be? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I've never taken a BuzzFeed quiz, so I have to think about this. I mean, I think every young male who watches The Office sees themselves in gym to a point i've certainly got a little bit of kevin in me um maybe just a little little bit of creed but uh ultimately i i probably a little jim a little dwight a little michael all rolled up in one how do you feel yeah i guess i'd have to put myself like oddly between like the judgmentalness of angela but the more like pop culture and fashion interest of of Kelly. And so maybe what we're trying to say is real human beings aren't tropes and we're just mixes of of multiple tropes. We're we're actually like layered and real. It's funny though cuz Angela and Kelly are so opposite. I never thought about triangulating between them, but I guess that would give us a Lauren. <laughs> when you're forced to think about it, it's really true. I'm probably going to have some revelation later of like Oh, this is absolutely who I am on The Office, but uh, it's going to be... Oh, I also certainly have some tendencies with Gabe, uh, and I wish that I was uh, dating Ellie Kemper as well. Oh, Gabe is a character I forgot about. He comes in later. Yeah, he does. He's a weirdo, but in in as much as he's like obsessed with media that other people don't want to talk about or hear him talk about, I understand Gabe. Anyway, here's my She-Ra podcast. <laughs> So yeah, we're we're talking about the episode launch today. Now I don't want you to read this episode description and think that it's lunch. We're not talking about lunch. That's another podcast. This is launch. Thanks, thanks for clearing that one up, Eric. Really important. You're welcome. Doing the good work. Doing the important the, work. This is the second episode of the season of Princesses of Power. So in this episode, it's it's mostly Adoraless. Uh, it has to do with the princesses attempting to crack Horde Prime's signal so they can figure out where Glimmer's being held out in space, and then Adora can take Mara's ship and go rescue her. And it's kind of like Entrapta's re-inter- like reintroduction to the princesses episode, because she's the one who's like making this her project, but no one really trusts her or necessarily even wants her around. Uh, meanwhile, Horde Prime lets Glimmer know that her dad is alive, which is a really striking scene, and Adora follows a vision of She-Ra in her dreams until she comes to the revelation. She thinks that her dreams are trying to tell her she doesn't have a destiny anymore because she broke the sword, so she's just going to see where things take her. Well, where things take her is at the end of the episode, the Horde sends like a squadron of ships to where the rebels are stationed. And through some trickery of King Micah, Adora, Bo, and Entrapta manage to get off world and head towards Horde Prime ship to save Glimmer. All right. So here is where having watched the entire season makes this a difficult discussion to have. Because this is the episode that really makes me wonder how full of shit 
is Horde Prime. <laughs> and let me explain what I mean. So Horde Prime is all-seeing. He's all-knowing. He's basically a religion. He's got these obsessed followers. He's got this collection of trinkets and items from worlds he's conquered. And yet, the rebels keep beating his robots and he can't find She-Ra. He starts this episode out by doing this massive broadcast across the kingdoms saying, She-Ra wants to keep you from my light. Bring me She-Ra. And he has to interrogate Glimmer some more. If he was really all-seeing and he was really all-knowing, would he need those resources? Would he need to ask for that amount of help? I feel like he would have won already if he was really as powerful as he says. Well, I don't think we're supposed to think he's, like, omniscient. I think that, you know, this episode, I don't remember whether the last one made it this explicit, but now we know that he can kind of pop into his clones' bodies and, like, literally he can see what they see and he can interact through them and has access to all of their memories and experiences and things. So it's kind of a thing where, like, he sees all where his tendrils extend, but he, like, literally doesn't know everything and uh, I don't know, like, it, uh, I'm sure a little bit of it is, like, sci-fi villain bluster, but I think it's still pretty cool, and he still does have a pretty striking, like, collective presence. Well, sure, I think you're right, but the way he intimidates people is by saying he knows everything. Like, that's kind of his go-to, you shouldn't have bothered resisting, you shouldn't have bothered to pull that tactic, Catra, I already know everything. And maybe that's more about what he aspires to be and what he's trying to be, and he's close to getting it, but he's he's not quite there yet, not in the literal sense. What I also don't get from this episode, and maybe it's explained later, is are there still independent planets out there or not? Is Etheria like the last stand, or is he just some places? I'm, I hesitate to say too much that, like, but this kind of taps into some of my overall notes on the season. Uh, I, I would, I would guess, I would give the magic eight ball answer of like future to be determined. Okay. Or something. <laughs> but I think that's a great question, and I think we should return to it later. All right, I figured. It's so tough talking about a season that ends with literally the end of a series, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and, like, the ending is so much of what people want us to talk about, I imagine. It's, like, what's on everybody's mind. I hope that you all can enjoy this episode, this, like, slower look at it. Your Majesty, thank you for joining me. I thought you might enjoy a diversion. So something that maybe the fans would like us to talk about is Entrapta, because she has some big moments in this episode. What really struck me in this one was that the reason everyone is so hesitant with her has changed. Uh, before, there was a lot of fans kind of defending Entrapta as she's socially awkward, she's not great with people. I know we've entertained the idea of maybe her being an autistic character before, but this time, they don't just dislike her because she's awkward. They actually have traumatic memories of her robots attacking them and they think she might betray them. So to befriend Entrapta now is not just to like talk to a weirdo at a party, but is to talk to someone who, from some points of view, tried to kill you. 
Yeah, I, I'm glad that this story was slotted relatively early in the season because I think you mentioned on last week's episode that, like, Entrapped is just kind of working with Bo like nothing happened, but a lot happened. And so, yeah, I think this is an important thing to address. And it's interesting to me that of all the princesses, Scorpia is the only one who really wants to cut Entrapta slack. But what's even more interesting than that to me is how all the other princesses have zero problem with Scorpia being there, but still side-eye Entrapta. I think that's like a really interesting choice to make. Yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about the comparison of their reception of those two. Uh, Scorpia is just so likable and like easy to love from a fan perspective that you, you just sometimes forget who she used to be, but... She was a, a force of nature. She was stinging our heroes all the time, and she was right there alongside uh, Hordak for a while. And I think that, like, in-world, too, there's just, like, less duplicitousness that's perceived with her. Like, she's a very earnest character, whereas in Trapta, uh, the other characters, I, I think, aren't giving her the benefit of the doubt because she seems so driven, not by, like, conscience, but by this like pursuit of tech and uh i i think it's fair i i think it's it's fair that they put her in that position and that she has to kind of redeem herself a lot of it is probably very in the moment too this is a very desperate uh high stakes situation and you can compare entrapta and scorpia's behavior on the mission so scorpia is following orders and she's doing what she's told and she's being helpful Whereas it's very easy to perceive Entrapta as sort of wandering around and blowing their cover and not listening. And so the difference in their reactions is probably about that, too. That's a great point. Yeah, and I think, I mean, we've talked a lot about Entrapta's culpability. And I think, especially me, I've maybe softened on blaming her so hard. But it's still definitely worth noting, and I'm glad that the show addresses it. I... I guess I'm not a hundred percent on on the resolution of that plot, though. It's basically like so she spends this whole episode trying to crack this signal, which involves them going to a horde spire, and she's like walking around with an antenna up in the air trying to work this signal out, you know, all that stuff. Uh, she's literally on a leash for a part of it, which I think is a, a great image. Uh, And she has this really cool speech. I'm not good at people. I'm good at tech. I thought maybe if I could use tech to help you, you'd like me. And everyone's yelling at her, Mermista especially. And then she, like, breaks her leash and and goes, like, runs into the fray. And Mermista's like, what the fuck are you doing? And she goes, I have to get the signal to save Glimmer. And Mermista's like, you're still trying to get the signal? And then all of a sudden is like, we have to protect her. But to me, I'm like, that's obviously what she's been doing this whole time i think the point is that the other princesses don't trust her but to me it's like she is so clearly trying to win them over by getting this signal the whole time i don't necessarily buy mermista flipping from like i i don't want anything to do with you to like i would lay down my life for you in that moment it felt quick to me i agree and you are touching on i think what is so far my main point of like critical feedback for this season. As a show wraps up, a lot of character arcs have to be put to bed. 
and I'm not going to give any spoilers, but from what I've seen so far, this is not the first major character that offers an explanation for their behavior or an apology or a grand gesture to sort of undo what they've done in the past. And I don't always buy that one big passionate moment is enough to undo some of the travesties that happened before. And it happens a few times in this season and in some big, big ways. And I also, uh, (laughs) I struggle to see later on the lives that are are had after that forgiveness is given. I don't know. I think I'm a very grudge-holding person. I have a hard time getting over when I feel wronged or when something bad has happened to me. And maybe maybe that's something I need to work on. But this season is just full of the power of love and friendship and sincerity, letting a lot of bygones be bygones. And we're going to come back to that. I don't know how ready I am for it. I, I think, I mean, she may literally be the first instance not to... <laughs> to uh, uh, question you, but I think this is the first, but it certainly won't be the last. Um, And you're right. We'll talk about this a lot. And I I don't mind, like, I think we all knew Entrapta was going to get uh, some kind of absolution, but just the the speed with which Mermista turns. In Mermista's defense, I think we are supposed to buy Mermista as someone who's a lot more abrasive and negative than she really is on the inside. You know, see also Seahawk. And so Mermista maybe had a soft spot for Entrapta all along, and it just needed to be tapped into by realizing that Entrapta cares about Glimmer. Um, Whether or not it suddenly made Entrapta's plan a good one, like, questionable. (laughs) The message from Horde Prime was transmitted through that spire, which means it's got a wavelength connecting it to his main base of operation, one that we can track. Great. So track it. Well, hypothetically we can track it. Horde Prime's astral communication network is incredibly complex, and I've only been able to intercept parts. I need to gain as much proximity as possible to the receptor before I can triangulate their origin. I need to get close to the spire to track the signal. Got it, got it, got it. Man, Horde Prime continues his tour of, like, being a real piece of crap by <laughs> showing Glimmer that her dad is alive on his little viewfinder, which, like, I did not expect the revelation to go down that way, and that was really something. Yeah, I didn't expect that either, and yet once it happened, I was like, ah, oh, of course this is how they did it. Very good. Yeah, that was great. There's not a lot of Glimmer stuff in this episode, but I, I liked all of it that there was. Uh, we should check in on our bingo card. There's a few Glimmer Catra moments, but I'm not thinking it's enough to call it a ship yet. Are you, Lauren? Well, the way you described it was that it can't coexist alongside Catra Dora. Like, it has to be the main will-they-won't-they. They. I would definitely consider this a ship, but I don't think it overcomes Catra Dora. I also have some strong feelings about, like, Catra's actions resulted in the death of Glimmer's mom. It makes me a little uncomfortable that they're buddies. That one actually didn't hit me until Alex brought it up, and then I went, oh, ew. There is, um, I think something we'll talk about later in this season is how kind of when the scale of your, op- like, of your problems expands, the, the previous problems you had seem to collapse in scope. And I, I could see this being an instance of that, 
but that is a good point. Before we get too far from the the Horde Prime glimmer moment, I do give huge props to Horde Prime for basically trying to tell Glimmer that they're the same. Like, he wants to destroy Etheria, and if she was willing to use the heart of Etheria, which she was, apparently she was too. And he's trying to frame them as, like, both these, like, death-bringing forces. And she's like, no, 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 that's not what I was trying to do. That would have been a mistake. Okay, just to clarify, because again, I haven't seen Far Ahead, so I'm going to continue asking spoiler-free questions as if the entire season isn't out there yet. But can we clarify what Horde Prime's plan is? Because his whole thing is, I'm going to burn the weeds to start over a new pure world of light. And I'm just having trouble understanding what he did to the societies that he conquered before. Because at the beginning of the episode, he's telling all the citizens, join me, join my light, let's all, you know, you know, unite under me. But if he's just going to murder them all, like, does he kill them all? Is everyone who ever came across gone? Or are they clones now? What has happened? So I'm not sure we're supposed to really know. But if I were to take a guess, I would say that there's levels based on how a civilization reacts to him. I think that, you know, level one is kind of where we start with Etheria now, which is like occupation and it's under his rule. And it's it just kind of like a resource farm. And I would guess that as uh, resistance increases, or maybe desirability of a planet's resources increases, uh, we go from, like, subjugating the population to destroying them. But that's kind of a guess, and we'll, we'll maybe dive into that more later. Or maybe we won't. <laughs> you acting like you don't know is getting really tiring really quick. But, like, what if I don't know? <laughs> That's fair. I, wasn't it me last season who like watched the season and then forgot? It could just be. Or what if it's not? I mean, seriously, I don't want to spoil you, but like, what if some of these big questions aren't addressed in the season? That's entirely fair. I think I, I keep seeing so many of the character arcs being wrapped up so quickly that I'm assuming everything gets answered, but I'm sure it all doesn't. That would be nearly impossible with a story this large. Yeah, I have uh, I have a lot of thoughts on like the world buildy stuff of this season that I can't wait to talk about, but we've got more episodes to get through first. So uh, yeah, let's just say for now we don't we don't know what the plan is. But you're right, there certainly seem like it also is possible there's like an escalation from subjugation to destruction. That would be kind of a um, bringing in one of my other fandoms here. In the IDW Transformers comics, that was how the Decepticons worked. They had everything from Phase 1, which was Infiltration, to Phase 6, which was, I think, Obliteration. So, in there, they would, like, you know, first they'd sneak into a populace, then they would uh, take over the populace, they would strip a planet of its resources, then they would destroy the populace. So, maybe that's what Horde Prime's doing. Maybe he's a Decepticon. All your favorite fandoms coming together. I know, right? He does have a lot of robots. That's true. Oh, hello. <laughs> You're very technologically advanced. Ah, bad robot! So how do you feel about the way the party gets split when Mike is 
when Micah gets left behind and Mara's mm. ship goes off into space. I can't help but think that, like, there would have been another way to distract the Horde so that Micah could also have gone into space. But I think, it like, Entrapped a Bow and Adora does make sense as a space party. Yeah, I think bringing Entrapta makes a lot of sense. She actually was, like, reminding me of the space core from the Portal games. Just like, I'm so excited about space, 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 so much space. That I wonder if anyone played that game on the crew. But staying behind made a lot of sense to me for Swiftwind in, like, a very literal way. That is a huge horse. Hor- yeah. Horse no likey space. Okay, I get it. And I even kind of shed a few tears when he said, like, I'll always be your loyal steed, that he he loved Adora, even even if she maybe was never She-Ra again. Yes, that line I wrote down, too. That was so good. But, like, Micah having to do the sort of cosplay, as funny as that moment was, we saw that there are other magicians in the Rebellion. There are so many other resources, and so many princesses were there, like... We, we had just seen Mermista and Frosta. I, I do agree they could have come up with something else, but all right. Right, because all I can think of is, like, I don't know how effective their distraction is. Like, are we supposed to believe that the robots are so thrown by seeing She-Ra that they're like, oh, I'm going to ignore this spaceship because She-Ra's here. Like, I don't know that robots would understand that. So to me, they're just like doing like a crazy Custer's last stand thing to lead the robots away from the launch pad. So that says to me that like Micah could have, if his goal was to like see his daughter above all else, he maybe could have found like a better way or like, can't you conjure? I mean, I don't know the magic in this universe, but don't they have like spells where you could conjure uh, like a shadow form or something? And then have that just look like it's a thing while you as the real person go on the ship? I don't know. You know, I don't actually think this is in the text, but something you just said makes this my head canon. Maybe he just actually wasn't ready. Yeah, I actually would like that better. And I think that you're right that there's no textual evidence for that. But I will hold that to my heart. I I made the weirdest comparison, by the way. I just spotted it in my notes. I know we're sort of past Entrapta already, but she did get to go to space. I wrote that this episode reminded me of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, in that this character was an outcast and maligned by all, but then once they showed they could be useful, they got to come along and be friends. So Entrapta was like treated like crap by Mermista, and then once everyone realized she could help us get to space, now she is the front reindeer pulling the spaceship right into the sky. <laughs> One thing I do like about this whole like episode structure is I like that the show is confident enough to do entire episodes, not just without She-Ra, but mostly without Adora. Yeah, it's in the title, right? It says Princesses of Power right on the tin. And so when we get to see some of our other characters step forward, I think we're seeing some of the best advantages of how this show has positioned itself as an ensemble piece. I completely agree. Uh, The other thing I wanted to call about this episode was I thought Perfuma, who I'm on record as saying is one of my favorites, had some really inventive power usage here. I particularly loved a moment where she called like, a little kind of tendril of plant to just throw off the aim of a robot trooper so then she could like 
uh, bring in a big old plant thing to smash it. Uh, I thought that was very cool. Their powers are all getting stronger, and the more creative they get, the more questions I have, because for a while, Mermista was struggling with the idea that there's no water around here. She eventually finds it, but she needs water to work with, but it seems like Frosta can just build ice out of nothing. How fair is that? Dude, that's so true. I... Have we seen them, like, team up like that before? That feels like a very X-Men thing to do. Is like, you have one character who manipulates elements and another character who generates them. It's like, yeah, you're a natural team. Speaking of, of Frosta, there were some things in this episode that really made me laugh just visually again, and they seem to be giving the sight gags to, to Frosta a lot. So at one point, uh, when they were all hiding, there were two characters who I guess had just grabbed leaves and were hiding behind them. And it was just such a weird image. Like, not everyone did it. Only two of the princesses did it. And it was never explained. It was never mentioned. It was just a sight gag. And in the last episode, I didn't mention it, but Frosta said C, as in point A, point B, point C. But she held up three fingers when saying C. And I just, it's so corny. And I I guess I kind of appreciate that here in the end game of this completely high stakes emotional series, they're still just doing bits. <laughs> there are some incredible comedic moments coming up in this season, I have to say. And yeah, Frosta is certainly a comic relief character. Her incess- like insistence on punching horde troopers, I think, is really, really adorable. She's become she's kind of gone from like insufferable in Princess Prom to like a total delight. I would have to guess that a lot of the writers really enjoy her. Yeah, I think what makes her insufferable and what make her enjoyable are just the same. Because she's still a child. She's just a literal child having fun. And I like that. That's a really good point. The last thing that I want to talk about is the visions of She-Ra that Adora has. Because you said something like, Adora realizes that she doesn't have a destiny. And... I don't know if I exactly agree with that. I took maybe two points out of it, and one is closer to yours than the other. One is that I think destiny is random. Uh, Adora pointed out at the beginning of those visions, I wasn't given this sword on purpose. It was given to me by Light Hope because she just needed someone. It's all random. So I think she knew that before the vision started. What I think the vision told her was that Shira is bigger and more important than that, and that there are still things worth fighting for, even if maybe that wasn't your destiny. She seems to come out of it really enthusiastic about fighting for her friends and the power the power of love and friendship. I got that it was foreshadowing that she was going to transform soon, like without the sword, because there were still things powerful enough more powerful than destiny to make that happen. Because Adora says, thank you for everything. And I just had to think for a little bit, like, thank you for what? And I think it's kind of the getting her groove back, you know? Okay, well, it wasn't, being She-Ra wasn't my destiny, but I still have a lot to fight for. So with that said, uh, Lauren, how did our bingo cards progress this episode? Did they? They did not, I would say. <laughs> no progression. We're two episodes in, and we have no no X's to mark. 
I didn't think so. I There was a moment where Glimmer, you know, was like, you could never win, that I thought was like a pretty good speech, but it wasn't a reconciliation speech. It wasn't. Similarly, I was really, uh, really interested in the tenderness between Glimmer and Catra at the end of the episode, but like I said, it's not enough yet. And trap deck stuff, like, not seeing it yet. We no, nothing. Nothing yet. We got a long way to go. So- yeah, I mean that we have eleven more episodes, so I guess we'll just have to keep watching. Thankfully, I think we're we're still going to be in pretty good shape. A lot of the stuff that I know I was guessing was certainly more like finale level stuff. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe we'll get that bingo yet, Lauren. Well, yeah, and thank you to everyone who did do their bingo cards while watching. Uh, we definitely are going to be, I think, unboxing whether or not certain bingo squares count but keep sending us your finished cards because then we'll truly know who won the game yeah well i feel like that's all i have to say about launch uh not lunch but it did it did almost sound like you said lunch that time is that just like what your accent does your personal version of the chicago accent i guess so it's uh you mean the correct accent (laughs) yeah our normal accent anyway yeah um I I think that like like I was saying I feel like this episode did necessary stuff especially with Entrapta that I'm glad got addressed. That said, I'm really looking forward to diving more into like the the larger sci-fi implications of what's looming over this season. All right, so do we can we compare really quickly any of the Shira characters to characters from The Office? Oh, okay, okay, that's good. Um. Adora definitely has her Michael moments. Oh, yeah. Adora seems Michael because she wants to be a good leader, but botches it all the time. Perfuma is Aaron. Yeah, I agree. Let's see. Would that make Mermista like an Angela? I think Mermista might even be a Dwight. Whoa, that's fighting words. (laughs) <laughs> and and then i think uh i think kelly is um definitely frosta that's the one i feel the best about okay i think Bo is pam yeah i was gonna say pam or jim just someone who just like means really well and does their best and i think pam is probably the right call because jim's a little bit more sarcastic and pam's a little bit more sincere so who does that leave Glimmer to be? Is Glimmer Jim? Yeah, of course Glimmer's Jim. Because Glimmer's Jim. That would make Bo and Glimmer Jim and Pam, of course. Oh my god, of course. Okay, so then uh, Hordak would be... Um... You've already used Dwight. I don't understand. Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower. Okay, guys. So, Scorpia is Aaron. Hordak is Charles Minor. Catra is obviously Jan, right? Like, so obviously, Catra is Jan.